Blog Talk Radio. What's up, guys? You're listening to Wide Open Radio, the nation's number one motorcycle talk radio show, with your hosts, Courtney Lambert and Dave Withrow. Hear real talk discussions about the latest custom motorcycle news and events. Now grab a drink and have a seat, because we're about to get started. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Wide Open Radio. I am super excited tonight. Uh, You guys have been asking for Aaron from uh, Glendine Design for quite a while now. Uh, We bring up his wheels and a lot of his parts uh, pretty frequently on the show, and a lot of people always ask why he's not been a guest on the show yet. So I called him up. We made it happen. So he will be our featured guest tonight. So if you guys are tuned in right now, stick around because you will hear from Aaron shortly. We're going to bring him on probably in about five minutes. We're going to get to it really quick. Uh, before we bring Aaron on, I want to talk for just a little bit about a couple of things that have been going on. Um, first of all, let me just say that the wrong opener played, so that was a little disappointing. Um, in fact, you know what? This is Internet radio. It's not FM radio. We can do whatever we want to do. So I'm going to play the new intro right now so you guys can hear it because I was pretty excited about it. So we're going to start all over, and I'm going to play the new intro so you guys can hear what we've been working on this week. What's up, guys? You're listening to Wide Open Radio, the nation's number one custom motorcycle podcast, with your host, Courtney Lambert. Brought to you by Raw Edge Custom Motorcycle Paint Shop. Hear real talk discussions with the biggest names in the industry about the latest custom motorcycle news, trends, and events. Now, grab a drink and have a seat, because we're about to get started. better. I know you guys are probably tired of listening to my voice on the intro and the entire time during the show. So huge shout out to Jason at WDOD and Chattanooga for helping out with our new intro. Um, We've got some more stuff coming on later in the show that I can introduce to you guys. Um, We've been working hard trying to improve things and get things going because our listenership is growing way faster than we ever thought this was going to happen. So um, thank you guys all for your uh, growing support. Thanks for sharing information about the show and telling people about it. Um, It's definitely growing, like I said, a lot faster than I ever would have imagined. And I have you guys thank for it. So that's awesome. So Arizona Bike Week uh, just passed, Arizona Bike Week and Leesburg Bike Fest. So um, because I wasn't able to cover Arizona Bike Week, I want to ask all of the listeners if you will send us your photos and videos from AZ Bike Week. Um, there's a huge baddest bagger out there. We've talked about that multiple times. That is probably one of the top three baddest baggers. I would say AZ Bike Week, Daytona Bike Week, and Sturgis. You guys, you, you agree? I think those are probably the top three. So um, I really want to get some, some video footage and some photos from you guys uh, who were able to be out there for AZ Bike Week. Because uh, I know that you guys have some stuff that you can share with us that I can pass on to the other listeners. I try to do that because everybody is not as lucky or fortunate or whatever to be able to go out to all these rallies. 
So uh, whenever I'm able to share photos and videos and stuff like that, I try to do that because I want to make you guys feel like you were there too. Um, speaking of Arizona Bike Week, I can't even continue without bringing up something that uh, that I posted a few days ago, and you guys have probably seen all over the internet in the past week or two, and that's the results of the baddest bagger out in Arizona. Um, like I said, one of the biggest baddest bagger contests out there, and if you're able to place in that show, you've made it. That's pretty much all I can say. So I have to mention how well TOL did. Guys, you completely killed that show. Um, they took they took the Baddest Bagger, which is the top award that you could win. Um, they also placed first and second in the Radical class, and they also took home the American Bagger Editor's Choice. So um, that is amazing. You guys did great. Um, Kobe, Speed by Design, you did awesome. You placed in the stock class. Um, several other of our listeners, um, they also placed, and I'm so proud of you guys. This is a huge, a huge defeat, basically. The, the show is, like I said, uh, one of the best, baddest baggers out there, and the competition is fierce. So uh, huge props to TOL for completely killing it out at Baddest Bagger. Um, oh, I'm sorry, that was the Laughlin result, Baddest Bagger in Laughlin. I keep forgetting, we have AZ Bike Week, Laughlin, and Leesburg that just passed. So I totally meant to say uh, Laughlin there. Now, speaking of Leesburg, um, I just got back from that about a week ago, and um, it was amazing, guys. If you've never been down to Leesburg, it's, it's a huge party, basically. So it depends on what you go to these rallies for. A lot of the rallies are great for riding. Um, Sturgis, Arizona, those are great riding rallies. You go out, and you probably want to be out on the road more than you actually want to be at the rally with the event. Um, and I don't blame you for that. Uh, Leesburg is the opposite. Leesburg is, there's really not great riding around there. I mean, Florida, all of our roads are kind of flat and straight. But um, you do get to, to really get into a lot of concerts, um, the bars and the bike shows and all the contests they have, bikini contests. They had a, a male bikini contest, male swimsuit contest, whatever. So um, it, it's definitely a huge party, and we had a great time down there. Um, Rat's Hole Show killed it there. They had over 125 entries, which is pretty common. Um, they usually bring a really good following. Now, they also did a bagger show there as well this year. So if you guys were not able to see the results of that, um, I've posted those on our page as well. So make sure you take, take a look at that because um, it's – it's really cool to see how well the Rats Hole Show does, uh, even whenever they're dealing with baggers, which is not really their thing. So, um, again, guys, I'm asking for you, if you were at Arizona Bike Week or um, Laughlin at the River Run, if you were at either one of those, please send us your pictures. Tag us on Facebook uh, so we can share those with all of our listeners. Um, like, we just want to be able to make sure they feel like they were there and they, get, uh, they have an opportunity to be included on everything. So um, that is that, guys. I posted something earlier to remind you that if you have a question for tonight's featured guest, there are two different ways that we can go about getting your question to Erin from Glendine. Uh, one is you can submit your question on Facebook. So you can go to the Wide Open Radio Facebook page, or if you're a part of our closed group, which is Wide Open Radio Custom Motorcycle Talk Radio, uh, you can post it 
there in a comment or a message. And then if you're feeling really brave and you really want to be a part of the show and you'd like to talk to Aaron directly, you can call in tonight. Uh, the guest call-in line is 323-870-4604. I'm going to say that again in just a minute if you guys need to take notes. Um, and I did post it on our Facebook pages as well, okay? So our listener line is 323-870-4604. You guys are welcome to call in if you have a question for Aaron. But remember, if you're calling in and you want to come on air to ask a question, make sure you press 1 on your keypad so that I know that you have a question. Otherwise, I'm just going to think that you're calling in to listen. For example, we have – dozens of phone numbers listed right now of people who are calling in just to listen okay so if any of you guys who are listening from your phone if you have questions just reach down right now and press one on your keypad and that will send a little notification up to let me know that you have a question for Aaron uh, speaking of Aaron let's go ahead and get to it guys like I said you have been asking for me to have Aaron from Glendine Design on Wide Open Radio for quite a while now you guys love his products, and you love his style. So, um, everybody, let's welcome Aaron from Glendine. How are you tonight, Aaron? I'm doing great. How's everybody doing? I hope everybody's doing really well. <laughs> um, <laughs> how are you doing? You you had a busy day, huh? Yeah. I actually, well, today I had a, a pretty busy day at the shop, and then I actually cut out a little bit early to get a little much-needed tattoo therapy done on my arm. So, that was kind of a nice end of the afternoon, and now I'm just sitting down, going to take a little time out to talk to everybody and drink a cold beer. Good, good. You know, that used to be mine and Dave's thing. We would drink a beer while we were on air, and it got a little floppy sometimes, especially depending on who we had on. I don't know if you've heard any of those. Won't name any names, but Doug Magoon and a few other guys. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so. you know, all the guys in the industry like to drink beer when we get a chance, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. It was always funny because we're all over the country, and some of us would be sitting by a pool, and some of us would be sitting by the fireplace because it was freezing cold wherever they were. So, um, anyway, right. glad that you're able to kick back and have a beer and talk with us for a little bit. Um, oh, the whole it's my purpose pleasure. Of the show Good, good. The whole purpose of the show, Erin, and I've explained this to you, I'm sure you already know, but just so everybody else knows, um, I like to bring people on who are well-recognized in the industry, um, not just to promote your business, but to let our listeners kind of get to know you on a more personal level, so to get to know why you do what you do and how how your business runs and things like that, Okay. So um, if you don't mind, I would like to start out, and maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your background before you got into motorcycles and then how that led to the motorcycle industry. Sure. Um, I've always kind of been into, I mean, airbrushing and and graphic art and design and stuff like that, and I've kind of always messed with, you know, hot rods and and motorcycles and stuff. And, And back in high school, I started working at a street rod shop, Uh, after hours so I'd kind of start sweeping the shop and and doing anything I could to just kind of be around the the environment of you know hot rods and stuff and and I'd always rode dirt bikes growing up and stuff too so I kind of was into anything with a motor if you will well Mm -hmm. as I started kind of working there I ended up a year later I was painting I kind of had a knack for painting and and Bill the owner of Street Rods Unlimited out in New Mexico uh, is kind of sort of giving me a shot at painting and then I started 
painting cars and then working on, you know, doing shop tops and suicide doors and different, you know, body mod stuff. And I worked there all the way through my high school career. Um, got to start going to college, continued to work there a little bit. Got went ahead and, and got out of college, got into the fire department and opened up my first motorcycle shop. And by that time I had gotten really into into sport bikes and, and a little bit into Harleys and so I started out in sport bikes and then transitioned into Harleys and custom painting Harleys. And then by two thousand and one I had opened my first motorcycle shop in a little five hundred square foot, you know, building that had one light <laughs> hanging on the wall. <laughs> and I remember having to learn how to not shock myself and wire additional, you know, lighting in and try and make it where I could see and I had a buddy, you know, or two that would help me here and there if I got kind of, you know, busy or needed some assistance, and it's just kind of started to grow over the years from that point. And at first I would do, I'd work on anything, you know. It was a sport bike or Harley or a a car or lowering a pickup or, you know, whatever. And then as I got more into just motorcycles, I kind of just focused with that. I mean, I stayed with that, and customers would come in and, They'd see me airbrushing, you know, or paint work because I kind of did more paint work as the 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 everyday kind of money maker um, was airbrush work and graphic layout and just paint jobs and stuff. Well, then I'd start fabricating on the side and, and getting a little equipment here and there, and people would kind of come in for a paint job, but they'd see me working on my own personal bike, so they started kind of, you know, asking for you know, uh, commission, you know, fab work and stuff. So, and then from there. It was about half and half. I'd, I'd do paint and fab, and then it was some build work, and then it just kind of started growing. And then we got into the parts line um, probably six or seven years ago, started kind of playing with parts and um, small you know, parts, and then got into the wheel stuff. And then, the, of course, the brake stuff just kind of came along because I saw from an engineering standpoint um, the need for bigger brakes and, and brake systems and stuff. So that's kind of why we, we did that. Um, before all that was obviously the internal brake wheels and some of the other patented stuff that I had invented and created and which all had to do with the motorcycle industry. And it's just kind of snowballed from there. We've stayed at it and stayed kind of true to our uh, street rod kind of influence and kind of hot rod stuff. I mean, you can kind of see a lot of the parts that we design um, kind of have that automotive kind of racy, you know, feel to it. And even our wheels have that kind of HRE, um, you know, forged, just a real machined look. Like I like things that have a machined look as opposed to being overly contoured, um, which everything in the industry is a, a niche. You know, people have customers all yeah. the side, and that, that's kind of what um, is so cool about the industry is ultimately there's a lot of talent in this industry. There's a lot of really neat, you know, creative people and, and companies, and ultimately the, the end users decide, you know, if a, one part from, from my company fits, you know, their build project and 10 parts from another company fit their build project or their vision, then everybody wins. So it's just, it's just all part of it. But that's kind of the, the last, you know, 16 years or however long that is summed up really quick to kind of where we are now. You know what? I'm curious. Does it seem like it's been 16 years, or does it seem like, <laughs> it feels, holy it feels crap, like how all this happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell everybody, I joke around all the time. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to be 40 in, in about two weeks, and I tell everybody, I said, I'm 40, and I feel 50, you know, and I I joke about that, but it it really has. I mean, anybody who's ever kind of made their own little imprint in this industry, and I mean, I think that our our 
our imprint is a very small imprint in in the grand scheme of things, but the industry is also smaller than people think. You know, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a tight it's a tight knit group of people, and everybody you know knows everybody, and, and it seems big to a lot of people, but it's a very small industry as a whole compared to other industries. And it's just a it, it it's taken a lot. I mean, I remember back when I when I got hired at the fire department, even I was you know, but I still do this to a certain extent. I still work at the fire department, but I don't have to work as many shifts as I used to. But um, you know, I'd go pull 24 hours there and then pull 16 to 18 at the shop, and then 24 and then 16 to 18 at the shop, and then I'd be off four days from the fire station and I'd pull four 16 to 18s. You know, and wow. as you get as you get established, you you the demand is still there, but yeah, it takes a lot of work. So ultimately, you feel you feel it. I mean, there's no way that you can be in this industry for you know, 10, 15, 20 years and not have put in your time, put in your dues, you know, and, and a lot of these yeah. up and coming guys that are, that are in these positions, you know, I see them following in the footsteps and ultimately it's, it's awesome because you see other people that are starting from a garage and starting from a small building and start and, and just, you know, you, if you want it in this world, there's no reason you can't have it. You just got to be willing to put in the time and effort. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because, I don't think that there's anybody out there in the industry who's even remotely successful who won't agree with you. Um, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of hard hours, and it's a lot of beating from your customers and from oh, yeah. your your vendors, you know. And, and it's so funny that you said that you feel like you're 50 because, you know, I was <laughs> – I can't remember where we were. I think we were just sitting at dinner the other night and Corey mentioned several times that he was 37 years old. And finally mm-hmm. I was like, Corey, you are not 37 years old. You're 35. And he was like, no, I'm not. I'm 37. We argued about it. And I, he goes, okay, so I am 35. He goes, well, I guess I feel 37. So we were <laughs> laughing about it, you know, and I was like, well, at least you don't feel older than that because this industry will wear you down. It's brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, especially if you're in a multifaceted, you know, version of the industry where you're doing a lot of different things. I mean, if you're sticking with bills, then ultimately you have the stresses of, of, you know, the build timelines and deadlines and trying to make everything happen, which is very difficult sometimes and in, in to get everything to follow like, you know, follow like clockwork because on the custom side, you know, if you're just building a catalog bike, it's a piece of cake. If you're building something you've done mm-hmm. before, it's a piece of cake. It's when everything's a little different here and there that it's just uncharted territory to a certain extent and it takes a long time. Well, then you start getting into, you know, parts lines and then you start getting into the management side of the company and the structure of the company itself and how do you, you know, mitigate all of those different, you know, areas of the company and shipping and receiving and, you know, the, I mean, various methods in which everybody can communicate with you nowadays. I mean, from social media and emails and phone calls. I mean, it's just, it's, you've got to figure it all out when you start from a grassroots, you know, kind of, kind yeah. of situation. And, and I think anybody who's done that, a lot of your, your creative guys in the industry started out grassroots style because, they just they they were creative people. They just they just did it from what they love. You know, they they chased their dream and they found something they like doing and, and they found a way to try and make money at it. So it's ultimately we all a lot of us go through that same that same exact pathway, and it's it's definitely tough, but it's it's wonderful too. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you were pretty young when you started your business. You said you were twenty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, I was twenty. I mean, I started. Rare. I started working at fifteen as far as getting my hands mm-hmm. on stuff. But I mean, as far as opening my first shop, I was twenty-one, and I'll be forty 
um, in, two, in a week and a half or two weeks, the 12th of this month. So, And it's just gradually grown from there. I've, I've been really um, structured. I took a lot of engineering classes and, of course, business classes in college. So I'd, I learned how to manage things and manage businesses, and, and that's kind of what's helped me too because I never really overextended myself. I only grew when I was forced to grow. Um, now, that doesn't mean it was easy, and obviously I had the growing pains, and we're still adjusting to growing pains, you know, and, and trying to get it all done. And, of course, I'm a father of two also, so between having my two kiddos and obviously two full-time jobs, the fire department and the shop, it's definitely a lot on my plate, you know, and there's times where I, I think yeah. I've got, you know, stuff hanging off all edges, but I'm I'm definitely trying to get it tuned up and, and get it dialed in, and we're fortunate enough to be extremely busy all the time, and um I'm I'm learning every day, you know, and that's all I think any of us can do is is realize you can learn something from everyone, and I can learn yeah. something from any person I've ever talked to. You know, I can extract something from them. So yeah, and always keep an open mind. If you don't, you're Definitely. not going to take in everything that's out there for you. Um, so one of the things that I made a note that I really wanted to touch on during the episode with you tonight is the everything that you do because it's so funny you always hear people mention your wheels and your brakes and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of your business you know and the people in the industry and your customers and stuff they obviously know that and appreciate that about you um but you know some of the people listening may not be as familiar with the brand they may not be into the the style of bikes that are popular right now or whatever. Um, right. I want them to know about everything that you're into because there's a lot more to your business than just, you know, what you may hear on the surface. Right. Um, I mean, I like I started, said before, you know, I started out, I've always had kind of an artistic mind and I've always been into anything I could create with my hands. So, I mean, besides the motorcycle industry itself, you know, I've, I've always been into you know, sculpting and painting and, you know, building custom furniture. I mean, I've just, I like doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've focused mostly on obviously the motorcycle industry right now. And as far as the Glendine brand, and when we um, started out to build parts, I kind of wanted to make something where I was never in it for the money. I was just, I was definitely, I wanted to become stable with it to where it was efficient and I could guarantee, you know, my employees, uh, stability and and i've looked at you know especially tyler my right hand guy who pretty much handles everything whenever i'm not there and a majority of i mean he's so well versed in in everything that we do that i really don't have much to worry about as long as i have him on my team too you know and um, guys like him where i said you'll never have to worry about a paycheck you know you'll never have to worry about anything you know if you believe in me i believe in you we're, we're through this all the way you know and if this is what you want um I'm I'm going to, I mean, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure you feel secure with this company, you know, and and I've always looked at it that way. And um, so we, anyway, we, we've gotten into a lot of different things, but I always wanted it to be a very um, exclusive kind of limited production parts company. I didn't want it to be the Walmart of motorcycle parts where every single bike had the same wheel or every single bike had these floorboards, you know, everything that we do. um, There's been specific parts that we've designed and produced that were that we could have sold you know 500 units and we did 25 of them and then mm-hmm. it and to me it just made more sense because as I was always building bikes I wanted to have something unique and I think ultimately everybody wants something unique but in this day and age 
you know, replicating parts is obviously where the money's at, or replicating anything's where the money's at. But it also doesn't necessarily um, coincide with kind of the reputation I want for the for the brand. I really want the brand to be like a Gucci watch or something to where it's like something that you just don't see every day. And and the only way that, that we can make that happen was to not overproduce parts. We had to produce them. If there was a lot of interest, we might reproduce another 10 or 25 units or 50 units. But ultimately, all the wheel styles are terminated after 50 you know, wheels are sold. And that's all sizes, all finishes, but one style. So we sell, you know, 826s and 1030s. And, well, then we've got, you know, whatever that is, 28 left that we're going to sell between 18 and 21, 23s, whatever. So by doing that, you know, we basically can put a wheel in each state and that's that's kind of a still limited mm-hmm. production. So people get something between a lot of other companies where they buy it, and yes, you're going to run into another bike at bike night with, with the same parts. Well, the chances of that happening with a Glendine part, whether it be a floorboard, an air cleaner, um, you know, a rear fender, an exhaust system, a you know, gas tank or anything that we do, you, you really won't have that. So that's kind of the little niche that we wanted to stay in. And with all that, um, those things I just mentioned, obviously wheels and brakes and fenders and we pretty much build any part um that you could want in the aftermarket industry and and we're we're continuing to work on another parts line that we're developing right now that has some more patented products that are going to be really cool and are going to change a lot of the way the industry thinks um the latter part of this year when we get it all done it's just the logistics of everything getting the patents done getting all the r&d work done getting everything you know to line up with our insurance too that has to to obviously be able to be protected with anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. It just takes a while. But we're basically into a little bit of everything, but not mass producing any one thing in astronomical numbers. And I know some of the customers I've talked to, you know, they're really wanting the pipe or they're really wanting this or really wanting that. And if we get to a point where something is in very high demand, you know, we may build a little bit more of them, but ultimately I'm doing it for the fun and I'm doing it for the brand. And it's just not about the money to me. And, by by doing that, I hope people appreciate the uniqueness of the parts that we're offering. And yeah. you know, if they get in, they get in, they get in quick. You know what I mean? They get in real quick when we let something out. Hey, we got twenty sets of these, or hey, whatever, and they jump on it fast, and then we move on and kind of do something else. No, and it's good for people to hear that because I don't think that's something that you really advertise widely because I've not ever heard a lot about that exclusivity, although I know Mm -hmm. that your parts are more exclusive. Um, So that's good for people to be able to hear. I mean, that's, there's, it's urgent. (laughs) Whenever they see something new Mm -hmm. come out, you better get it because there's not going to be a lot of them. So um, I I definitely like that concept. Um, Tell us about all the parts that you offer because you have an entire line and, you know, I was looking over your website just to refresh my memory on everything, and I was like, okay, I've got to get him to actually go over everything so everybody will know the whole line you offer. And and we do, even though they're all kind of limited production things, you know, and and we're constantly changing. And with our products, it's kind of hard because I never update the website because – we just end up we just stay so busy as it is. I just I mean I try and, and it sounds bad, but I try and kind of like curb the business a little bit to where it doesn't get too out of hand to where we can we can still manage it. But everything I mean, that we do from you know two different different uh, sets of floorboards, uh, passenger peg setups, of course heel toe shifters and brake pedals, we got all that. 
And then we've got two different air cleaner styles with multiple interchangeable parts. One of the floorboard sets has multiple interchangeable parts from stainless steel mesh inlays um, to different type of you know background pieces that guys can powder coat or custom match to their to their bike. Um, three different exhaust systems. These are all, of course, limited production, so they're not necessarily available at any specific time. But, I mean, we, when we produce them, mm -hmm. we kind of announce that, hey, we're doing 10 of these or 10 of that. Um, our neuro projection taillights are really a pretty popular item, and we do a few more of those because that's kind of a universal part that a lot of guys can use on their builds. Um, we we're working on some different uh, rear-end kits, the, some bags and stuff. But we do, uh, for, of course, we have two different front fenders that we do um, in all sizes. Uh, wheels, obviously, from 18-inch to 30-inch um, in all different sizes and finishes. And we also offer a ceramic inlay process where you can actually accent a wheel, um, any color that you can basically pick in a paint code. We have custom mixed in a ceramic paint that we can bake back into the powder coat finish so that it gives a seamless edge. You can't feel it at all. It, it literally bl blends and molds itself back into the, the powder coat substrate underneath. So we have that. Wow. We do, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, we've got a brand new dash that's coming out. Um, a different set of side, couple sets of side covers that we're working on that all have inlaid, you know, mesh, kind of racy, hot rod looking parts that kind of flow with the air cleaner and the floorboards and stuff. Um, there's okay. there's a lot of different things. It just it's mm -hmm. all like I said. It's nothing. It's just a part number, and there's endless supplies of them in a warehouse. I mean, nothing's done like that with us. Um, but we, you know, there's nothing to say we won't have some parts in the future that are going to be, you know, like grips, and and we're working on some, some a motor parts line too for all the twin cam uh, stuff, which okay. is timing cover, rocker boxes, all that kind of thing. That's going to be more of a mass produced item because it'll just be available for anybody and everybody because it's not a defining. Um, design part really it's just kind of an accessory so the accessory stuff we're going to ramp up production in bigger parts numbers but all the other things we probably won't but that gives you a little idea okay. of, kind of what we do yeah definitely now what is your reason as a company for not producing a 32 inch wheel I from an engineering standpoint um, the 30 inch wheel and I mean even it's funny because like I remember talking to Tim the Mammer from Ballistic and Doug and all these guys, mm -hmm. you know, back whenever Tim kind of released that first one that Doug collaborated on, um, which was crazy. You know, we all looked at it in Cincy, and I'm sure you and Corey were there, and every, I mean, and everybody was like, God, that thing's huge, you know, and it, and it was. And yeah. It took a while for everybody's mind to get wrapped around this thing. Well, there's obviously all of the, you know, the weight associated with, with large diameter wheels, and, and we kind of just capped it at 30 just because um, for aesthetic reasons, I think the 30 is is pretty much pushing um, the the realm of balance on a motorcycle. I think the 26, even in my opinion, is a little more balanced for the size of the bikes. And I mean, I know guys are making right. you know the rear ends, you know, even longer, and, and the third, which helps make the the 30 a lot more balanced. But in my personal opinion, from a designer standpoint, I think it's just. I'm ready to say, hey, it's getting too tall for for us. We're kind of just stopping at the 30 mark, and it's kind of like back when I was doing choppers and um, you know pro street bikes and stuff. And you know, you were, we were doing 300s, and you know, started out with 240s and 250s, yeah. and it went up. And you, know, you get to a point where, as a designer builder, you just kind of say, eh, I'm ready for for something else. You know, I'm ready to start building you know something else, some really racy kind of you know inverted fork, 
baggers and kind of get it back into some, you know, real hot rod stuff or, or wherever the trend goes. I think soft ales are going to get more popular again. Um, the bagger is always going to be a pretty universal staple in the industry just because of the comfort, the rideability, the fact that you can take your girlfriend, your wife, or, um, you know, whoever with you and go out and enjoy the day and have a little bit of storage. I mean, they're always going to be there. But I think the industry has kind of made them as long and as wide and as low and as big as you can, which is the same thing as good so. with choppers. It's the same thing. Yeah, and I, mean, and I think a lot of people are getting ready to see the, the, the next shift over the next couple of years, two, three years, and it, and it kind of do a subtrend, if you will, even if the bagger stuff stays hot. I think you'll start seeing some um, kind of crossbreeds of baggers and stuff start really popping mm-hmm. up, which will be cool. Um, so we just personally just said, nah, I'm not going to invest in, in the – you know, the next wheel size up, which is the 32, because the 30 pretty much pulls off all of what the 32 does. The 30's got a wow factor. 30's big. Um, the 32, all of our wheels are engineered and, and tested the TUV standard, too, so they're, so we spend a lot of money crash testing our wheels, and, and a lot of companies don't do that, but I do that for the simple, you know, fact of I want to know that our wheel is as light as physically possible, as strong as physically possible, um, and as safe as physically possible. So by doing that, um, the 32 is definitely pushing the, the boundaries of, of those parameters. Not to say that it's not quote-unquote safe. It's just we just had to kind of have a, a no-when-to-say-when point, and it made more right. sense to us to just kind of stop at that point and kind of look at other parts lines and quit chasing the big wheel trend too far and invest that money back in the company with kind of the next trends that we think we're anticipating. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people are going that way. We're seeing, you know, um, Curtis Hoffman. I know you guys do a lot of business together. Curtis has mm-hmm. kind of shifted Great his guy. design uh, goals to a different uh, mm-hmm. to a different style over his last few builds. Um, we've seen a lot of soft tails, like you said. Um, I said, mm-hmm. gosh, a couple of years ago, I said that I thought that soft tails were really going to be the next big thing. And I've heard so many other people say that. And now we're starting to see more and more of them um, between soft tail baggers and stripped soft tails, you know, with bigger wheels or mm-hmm. whatever, but um, definitely. definitely a lot more of those coming out. And um, no, I, I can definitely see why you would make that choice. We've talked a lot on the show about the wheel sizes and what is pushing the, uh, what's pushing the boundaries of comfort and safety and stuff, just like you said. So it's actually mm-hmm. good to hear somebody say that they didn't go that far with it. Cause a lot of people do it just because that they want to be involved in the next big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's good to hear somebody say that they didn't feel pressure to do that. Yeah. And I think we, one thing, you know, whether people, um, like, you know, all of our style or, or not, I mean, everybody has their own opinion, you know, but one thing about, us is we definitely try and carve our own path, you know. And one thing that that I've always said is if every, if everybody's going north, you can bet we're going south. And and that's just the way that that we operate. And it's not that we won't, you know, go with the crowd to a certain extent. We just always want to try and find our way and what feels right for us. And and nothing against anybody who is you know do is is going with the trend 100. percent but I think part of what, what makes this industry awesome is the fact that you've got a lot of creative people. And so even if the crowd is kind of going in one direction, which we all follow to a certain extent when the trend's going because you're all in the trend. But if everybody kind of cuts their own version of that 
of that trend and right. these little, you know, fingers, if you will, that branch out off of the main road. That's what lends to all these other beautiful trends that pop up and, and, and you know, it just keeps everybody being creative and, and a lot of the people in the industry right now, um, I mean, there's a ton of talent in the industry and we're just thankful that people, you know, do use our parts and, and like some of our stuff and um, we enjoy seeing what everybody does with our parts and um, the involvement that they kind of incorporate, you know, with with our parts yeah. into their um, bikes is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It definitely says something about your product because um, despite the exclusivity of your stuff, you still see on the covers of all the magazines you're constantly popping up. So that definitely says something about your business and your products. Um I want to I want to go back a little bit if we can mm-hmm. and kind of talk about we talked about where you came from how you got in you know to the point where you are now but how did you land in motorcycles with such an artistic background and the engineering um part of your background and the business stuff how did you zone in and focus on motorcycles have you always ridden is that a passion of yours or how did how did you pick motorcycles? Yeah, I mean, I was always into you know dirt bikes and and that kind of thing, and then I got into sport bikes. I remember my mom um, always told me, you know, you can never have a a sport bike until you're 18. Well, it was <laughs> like two days after my 18th birthday, I come home on this, uh, you know, I think it was it was a CBR 600 F2 at that time. <laughs> I came home with it, you know, and my mom's like red faced and irritated, and my dad's like, get off, yep. let me take a ride, you know. So he took it down the street, and, <laughs> and so anyway, ever since then, I've always been into motorcycles, and then, um, but I've always loved hot rods, and I've always loved building custom trucks, and I've always loved all yeah. that. And I mean, you know, I wish there was more time in the day, you know, but um, I just kind of gravitated towards customizing motorcycles because I always had a love for them from a young age. And then once I got into custom painting, you know, and, of course, back in the early 2000s, um, it was mostly choppers and kind of, you know, low-slung pro-street-style bikes, as, you know, soft-tail-type platform bikes. And so you had, you know, three or four pieces to paint so I could really dive in artistically into these three or four pieces, not like these bikes now where you got 18, 20, 22 pieces to paint. Yeah. Um, they were easier for me to really put my time in and just kind of really focus on honing my craft with with, you know, two fenders, a tank, maybe an oil tank or maybe an oil bag, you know, and, and work on those parts and, you know, doing you know, different flake, uh, you know, paint jobs and candies and tons of airbrush work and pinstripe work and whatever, you know. And so I really just kind of, it made sense to me because I could focus on those smaller parts and really I just kind of stuck with motorcycles from that, from that aspect. I, um, but I've always been into them. So naturally as I was building me a bike on the side, as I was painting everybody else's stuff, um, I, for 10 years, I painted for Sam at Racing Innovations, um, which is just about 20 miles north of, of my shop. And, you know, he kept me busy all through the 2000s, you know, painting for him. And then, of course, I was building on the side and, you know, fabricating and doing different parts and stuff for people. And so I just was always into motorcycles and um, always fortunately had, had work come to me that was motorcycle-related um, due to the paint work I was doing and, that's just kind of where it's it stayed. It made sense to grow it from from that aspect. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. Tell us a little bit. Um, we're always curious about what you guys, what the builders actually ride. 
So I don't know what your garage looks like. I don't know if you have 10 bikes, 10 personal bikes, or if you only have one personal bike. But what is your go-to ride when outside right now? I've got got a few of them, but it's funny that, that, you know, everybody says, you know, what do you ride? I'm like, I don't ride. I pretty much work on everybody (laughs) else's stuff, you know. And it's like I really don't, and I don't get out that much. I mean, I've got a Road King, and I've got, you know, I've still got a chopper that I built a while back, and I've got the Glamour Tramp, you know, which is a – uh, the internal brake wheel concept bike that we, you know, brought out back in early 2000s, mid-2000s, whenever that was. And um, so, I mean, any one of those I could ride. Um, I really just don't get out that much. I mean, I spend time in the shop, and when I'm not at the shop, you know, I've got m- my kids, and, and I I go to events when we can. You know, we hit Stardust or hit this now, but I've yet to even been to Daytona. And I'm really planning oh, wow. on I'm trying to get out there. I want to go out there this next year, and it's just – between being busy and, and having two full-time jobs and two full-time kids, you know, it's like yeah, um, it just doesn't lend a lot of time to, to do those things, you know. So I've got to try and balance that to where I at least get out to two or three shows a year. Um, but at the same time, nothing against the industry. You know, watching my little kids grow up is is worth everything to me. And um, as much as I have a passion for motorcycles, you know, I'd I'd walk by one in a heartbeat to hug one of those two little kids, you know. So I do, I do it, I do it when I can, but for the most part, the best things in life are not things, you know? Yep. Yep. That is definitely the truth. Um, Tell us a little bit about, you're you're saying you don't have time for all this stuff, but you seem (laughs) to keep taking on more and more projects and and I've been following pictures of your shop for what seems like at least a couple of years now. And you have, really put yeah. a lot of work into that place. So can you tell us a little bit, like if we wanted if we wanted to know what it's like to walk into your shop, just describe it to us so everybody will know what, what your place well, looks like. We uh, we bought an old rundown warehouse um, that was built in the early 1900s about five years ago. And we at, the, at the time, we were working out of a, about a 1500 to 1800 square foot in a shop and it was packed, and we had just kind of launched the parts line, so we didn't have a lot of room for wheels to, you know, store up and stuff. And we were just cramped, and so we were looking for a place. And a realtor buddy of mine called me and said, "Hey, man, I think I got a place that you need to look at. It's been vacant for about, you know, five or six years. Um, banks really wanting to get rid of it. They're aggressive with, you know, wanting people to make offers. So he gives me this location, and I go down to kind of downtown Oklahoma City area." So I go down there and I drive by and at first I'm like, uh, I don't know about this, you know, it was rough and I mean it had a lot of you know transients living in it. It used to be an old mattress factory and anyway, so <laughs> it was just the ceiling was falling in, the roof was leaking. The, I mean it was just in bad shape. But but my creative mind was kind of going and I was looking at all these brick walls and this big you know iron truss system that that, that held up the roof, you know, in the main fabrication room and. Um, just all these things started going through my head, and of course, my creative juices started flowing. And I was like, I could so make this shop killer. You know, it's just going to take a lot of time, and it's going to have to be an investment. And obviously, a real estate investment, if it's the right one, is not a bad you know situation to to put money into over time. And so anyway, we, uh, my partner and I, Stephen, made a offer on the building, and the bank took it. 
Um, the only contingency is that we and we and we lowballed them really low, you know. And and the bank said the only contingency is that we close in in 24 hours. And we, I was like, oh, oh, you know. So I had to figure I had to figure out how to get that done. So Stephen and I put our heads together and um, we got it all figured out and and you know moved stuff around and made it all happen. And then um, we went in there in the first two or three months we started kind of doing cleanup, you know, and, and Tyler and I'd go down there, Steven and I would go down there, you know, however, and we kind of started getting a game plan. And, and the first thing we did was haul off uh, about 50, 40-yard dumpsters of just trash, which is the, the big structures you see on construction sites. Yeah, and, yeah. and so anyway, we had we had to go through there, and it's taken forever, but it's it's an old historic building. It's got a lot of really cool feel that you just couldn't reproduce with a new building and um, I ultimately wanted it to have a really old world kind of speed shop real hot rod vibe you know to where it just was an, a neat place to come hang out to come you know look at our parts to do whatever and so we've sectioned it off but we've got a front showroom that's about four probably four forty five hundred uh, square feet it's got a full um, 30 foot bar in it then we're actually going to have taps in the back wall and we're going to have like a couple nights a week that we're open and that's going to be the time that I'm going to be out front in that area um, kind of meeting with the public and talking to people and whatever and just basically being in a relaxed atmosphere because I, we we don't open our doors um, through the week or even the weekends. We're on full lockdown, no sign, nothing because in order for us to get all our work done, I just have to buffer the foot traffic yeah. and the communication. And it's kind of a catch-22 because you say – you know, you, you want to be busy and, and you want to take all this work, but at the same time, you have to be able to get the work done. And ultimately, people want to, to come to me and want to talk to me. So even if I've had people in place, which I have in the, in the past, they kind of buffer. Ultimately, they still go, yeah, 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 well, get Aaron up here because I want to talk to him. Or, or I'm, I'm wondering, you know, and ultimately, it takes away from us being able to run the machine of Glendine and get the parts done, the builds done, the fab work done, that, you know, get everything done that we have to do and yeah. keep our dealers happy and our customers happy. So I'm trying to section it all off to where we can mitigate all of these different things and make this shop work. And then we have a big um, VIP room that has a big conference table and it's, it's, it's done upstairs and we're, we've got a little cigar lounge that we're building that's, you know, in there. And, and we basically go through and if we have a little money left over each month, we'll put it into the building. If we don't, we don't put anything in there. Um, I didn't want to take out a bunch of construction loans or get the company in any sort of, you know, debt where we couldn't ride out some slower times if we had to. So it's just a, a work in progress, and we've been at it for four years, and we've probably got, as far as working on it for four years, we've probably got another two years left before it's what I would consider done and where we can start kind of opening it a little bit to the public on those two nights or however we decide to do it. Um, but then it's got, of course, so we've got cool. our own paint booth and, yeah, it's 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 getting there. It's just you know I'm trying to be really smart with it and not not spend more money than we have and not do more than we can. And and I've got um, a guy that works for me full time and his name's Poncho and Poncho does he's a jack of all trades. I mean he can do anything from lay brick to rock work, concrete work, woodwork, framing. Mm-hmm. He can do anything. So he basically is my full time shop guy that does just building related situations. Um, all the time. Okay. So he's constantly working on a project or, or doing something in there, building a you know concrete ramp in the back to get up to the, the dock <laughs> with motorcycles or, or whatever. So 
between you know everybody doing what they do best, we're eventually chiseling at this crazy compound um, that we're in right now. <laughs> well, you know, I I definitely have to say awesome job on making the decision to shut your doors and keep people out well, because you. it is a catch twenty two, like you said, it is very difficult to make the decision is it more important to have that foot traffic coming in and out every day because you you obviously want your business to be successful and make money but can your business be successful and make money if you're constantly talking to people you know and it's just that's a very hard recipe to figure out and you know to have that buffer person in place i'm that buffer person by the way so when you were talking Mm -hmm. about that i was like man at least somebody gets it because (laughs) it sucks being the buffer person nobody wants to talk to you and you know like you said everybody wants to talk to the main guy behind everything Mm -hmm. and um as understandable as that is that's one of the things we try to get across on the show you know that that you guys have people in place who are you you have molded them to be just as capable to answer those questions and represent your business as you are you know and that's the purpose of those people mm-hmm. so um exactly making sure that people are comfortable talking to any part of your business is a good um, point to make, you know, and it sounds like you have a great crew of people with you. Oh, yeah, and it, and we're going to put more people in place to be able to handle more, you know, because right now we're not taking on, you know, really any more custom builds like as far as um, big, full, teardown, you know, really labor-intensive builds right now because we're trying to get uh, a couple of the ones done that we're working on now, working on the parts line, all the new products, of course, keeping up with old products, keeping up with the perpetual you know, wheel of business that we have going with dealers and current customers and everybody rolling out to shows and which spurs up more part sales. And, and you know, we're, we're trying to handle what we got now, not take on anything too much more right now, unless it's kind of what I consider speed lift work, which is just something you can do in, you know, two, three days on a, on a lift real quick, which is great to fill in if you're waiting on a part for a build or you're waiting on to do this, you know, right. so there's a little bit of stuff, but eventually um, we will be open to the public eventually once I get all these steps in place um, and get everything dialed in 100%, you know, some more staffing. And But right now I can't um, hire any more people until I get the building done because essentially I can use, you know, salary of two people a year for people in an unfinished business or an unfinished building where I can finish the building and then bring people in and say, hey, here's your office, here's your place, here's what we do, have time right. to train them, not be worrying about the building. So it's kind of like, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, and, I, and I've got, I had to I had to just make decisions and figure it out. So um, by yeah. no means do I have it all figured out. I'm, I'm learning, you know, and, and doing the best I can at it. And a lot of my customers are really cool, and they understand, hey, we know that this growth came on fast, and, your you, you know, your parts line took off. And, I mean, I've got one really cool guy that we're doing a bike for in Canada, and, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate for him. He's he's really patient, kind of working with us and stuff because we just literally, you know, the parts are what take care of the monthly expenses. You know, and and mm-hmm. you can't you know hook a dealer up and take care of him. The next time he calls, go oh sorry, dude. I mean, you you've got to <laughs> stay with it. So um, he's yeah. been really cool, and of course we're hooking him up and taking care of his bike, and his bike's gonna be finished here pretty soon. And um, it's just a balancing act, um, as as life yeah. is with everything. Yeah, you know, I have come to the conclusion that anybody that says they've got it all figured out is a liar. 
yeah. like there's no way it is constantly just yeah. figuring it out as go. So I've, I've yeah. this industry has taught me that for sure. Um, oh, Aaron, if you have a couple minutes, um, we're going to play a quick commercial real quick. And then have you ever heard our hot seat? No. Okay. Well, this will be fun then. We're going to do a hot seat whenever <laughs> we get back. Don't be too scared. It's oh, normal. Oh, like, yeah, I, kinda, um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And then um then we'll close out and just tell everybody um how they can get in touch with you and find your parts and stuff like that. So hold on just a second for us, guys. We'll be right back. New on the custom motorcycle scene and taking the industry by storm. Raw Edge Custom Motorcycle Paint Shop, specializing in badass airbrushed graphics, laid down by some of the top artists in the country. Raw Edge offers free consultation to help motorcycle owners decide on colors and designs that bring their vision to life. Custom renderings are also available, allowing customers to see the paint layout on paper before any paint is actually sprayed on the bike. Quick turnaround times on award-winning paint is something that is hard to come by these days. And Raw Edge has committed to providing these services along with top-notch professional customer service, helping top-name industry pros and everyday Joes make their dream bikes a reality. Stop by RawEdge.com to view a full portfolio, list of services, and contact info. Ready to turn your ride into a work of art? Call Raw Edge to get started on your project today. 602-471-2912. 602-471-2912. All right. So, Aaron has never even heard our hot seat, which is going to be interesting, but <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. I'm going to ask you a question, and you just quickly say the first thing that comes to mind, okay? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. What is your go-to 26-inch tire? Metzler. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite, the favorite model wheel that you've ever designed? Oh, man. That's a hard one. Um, probably a G8. Okay. All right. You guys are all familiar with that one. Uh, what is your favorite motorcycle event to attend? Sturgis. What's your favorite vacation spot? You can go anywhere in the world. Oh, heck. <laughs> I've been in Florida numerous times, and I, I love going to Florida, but I've, obviously I've never been to Daytona, but I'd say Florida. Okay. What's your favorite beer? What are you drinking right now? A Dos Equis Amber. Oh, good one. All right. Who has been one of your biggest inspirations career-wise? Probably Paul Yaffe. Okay. Good answer. He's been on the show before. We love Paul. Um, What is your, yeah, what is your favorite motorcycle built by another builder? Oh, man, there's a ton of them. Um, (laughs) I'm going to piss somebody off. (laughs) A bagger? It does not have to be a bagger. Any bike out there. Man, there's so many of them that are awesome for so many different reasons. Um, I can't even think. You want to use a pass? All right. We're going to use a pass. That way, no no offense to any of my dudes out there. Yeah, you're picking the safe route. We get it. Um, what do you have a favorite quote? Um, it is what it is, or it's only money. Yeah. Either one of those two work. Yep, 
Um, that's on your your shirts and stuff, isn't oh, it? T-shirts, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. What is your dream hot rod? What what hot rod are you going to own one day? Oh. Don't act like you don't know. I really, man, I've got so That's the thing about <laughs> me is I like so many different things for so many different reasons. Um, if I had to say uh, probably a 32 Ford Coupe. All right. And last one, you're almost off the hook. What is one piece of advice that you can give to newbies in the industry? To to stick with it. To you know, if you if you want it bad enough, there's no reason in this world you can't have it. So just put your time in. I'm still putting my time in. I think we all are still putting yeah. our time in. But the main thing is is stay true to your craft, hone your craft, and never ever 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 give up. There you go. Good good advice. Um, one thing that I promised I would talk about, and somebody actually sent a question in on Facebook asking why we haven't talked about it yet, <laughs> so I got busted. Um, what, can you explain to us, um, you don't have to go into a lot of detail if you don't want to, but can you explain to us what the process is from conception to actually producing a wheel? Like, what goes into the design process? You already mentioned that you do a lot of crash testing and stuff like that, but is there anything else that we didn't talk about? Uh, basically, I mean, anytime you're you're building a part, um, whether it's a small part or a wheel or whatever, it involves machining. There's obviously the conceptual thought or the drawing, you know, that could start with, I mean, I remember our internal brake wheels, I designed them on a napkin sitting in a Waffle House in Vegas because <laughs> I saw a Ferrari outside, you know, with this big fat caliper tucked up behind this big, con, you know, concave wheel face. And I was like, how can I build that to look the same from both sides, you know? And so I started drawing on a napkin. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they start that way, a piece of paper, just sketching, just playing with it. Um, after that, after you kind of get the main the main idea down, then, of course, you can draw it in CAD or SolidWorks, however you want to, you know, whatever program you're using, and, and go from there. Once you get that all dialed in, then, of course, there's the blank itself. Um, sizing up the yeah. blank, cutting the blank out, you know, and then, of course, you go to crash testing after they're cut. Um, and then, of course, the rest of it is just tweaking. If you want to, you know, open up a window here or there or, or thicken a, a specific part of the, the wheel web itself or the face, you know, in order to, to produce a stronger um, wheel or a lighter wheel here or there because, you know, depending on how the crash testing results came back. And, and then, ultimately, it's finishing after that, you know, whatever, unless you pre-polish and pre you a wheel blank for the contrast cut style look, rest of it's just polishing chrome or, or powder coat or, or whatever you want to do. Um, the same thing goes with rotors. It's basically the same process. A little less napkin time because a rotor you can kind of do. Um, obviously, you're going to have a five-stone designer. It's going to mimic something of a some sort of a wheel design, so you kind of know where you're going with those. But that's basically the whole um, way it starts and in is is done from start to finish. I mean, it's kind of a, a run, a fast rundown on it, but that's really what happens. Okay. All right. So, Jim, I hope that answered your question. Um, there's another question from Michael Murphy. He wants to know where did it go. He wanted to know how you. Well, we kind of already answered that. Uh, where you see the future of the custom motorcycle industry going? So, um, is there a specific route that you think it's going to go or you just think it's going to kind of disperse I mean, from the big bigger wheels? 
I mean, I've per- I, I think, in my opinion, like I said kind of before we hit on, I think the Bears will still be a kind of the staple, the main trend because of just their versatility and rideability and, and all the things we mentioned before. But I think you're going to start seeing, you know, some shorter uh, bag kits, some really um, performance suspension type setups, you know, a lot of different cool bolt-on parts. They kind of crossbreed. Misfits hit some stuff uh, with their whole uh, – hit on some stuff with the Road King that they did and kind of – um, yeah. Converted it into you know soft tail or whatever with those Allstate bikes. I mean Allstate or Geico? Do you remember? Well, anyway, one of those. Geico. Um, <laughs> yeah, Geico. I wanted to make sure you get that correct for him, but the Geico bikes, <laughs> those things turned out turned out bitching, you know, and, and super cool yeah. and really innovative. And that that company is you know doing really well. And, and hats off to them. And it's like I think you're going to start seeing just a lot of different style kind of hot rod um, baggers, and, and then of course the soft tails. And so I mean I think you're going to see the trend kind of go the other way, maybe a shorter, fatter front tires. I mean, we've been playing with some of the 160, 180 fronts um, and got some, some different fenders set up for those now. And um, mm-hmm. you're just, I just think you'll see some different things because, I mean, other than unless we all start pulling wagons behind these 11-foot baggers, I don't really know what else we can do. With yeah. them, you know? I mean, <laughs> that you make them any further and kids are going to use them as water slides, you know. So it's like we got yeah. to figure something out. Um, in the industry to kind of, kind of you know morph it into something else, and so I think that's what you're going to see. I think you'll just start seeing things change again. You know, maybe ex- yeah. extremely rideable baggers, if you will, because we all know the big wheel baggers. They're totally usable. They're totally functional. You get a lot of people that say, you know, how can you ride that or how can you? Well, it's easy. You take care of it. You're, you're cognizant of the fact the back end's long and low. Um, but yeah. other than that, you know, you, you ride it and you cruise it and you have fun with it. And I mean. But I think you might see some more performance-oriented trends coming up. Okay. All right. And we'll take one more question from Jacob Reynolds. Um, And this is a good question. He said, do you feel like there's one part in your collection that is under-recognized, that you think is just like one of the best things you've ever done, but it's just not there yet as far as the public goes, not enough people know about it, or or it's just under-recognized? That is a good question. I do have a part that we're not done with. It's not released yet, and it will definitely be th- that. It's going to take a little while for it, to, for it to kick off. A lot of our parts do anyway just because they've got such an anti-trend feel to them. I mean, they're very you know modern or kind of minimalistic in some ways. I mean, they don't typically appear with a lot of flash that, that normally catches the eye of, of a lot of people or the masses. So right. all of our parts I'm kind of used to kind of slowly building as people see them, you know, and, and it happened like that with our projector taillights. I mean, they're a totally different kind of modern look. And then once a few, you know, especially some of the bigger builders were using them and, and they got out and then now, now like everybody, you know, really for the most part, um, we, we sell quite a few of those and people really like them. So as far as right now, apart, if I had to say anything, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe if I had to pick one, maybe our 3D molded uh, side covers. We've got a, they're definitely a minimalistic look. They're not very long and stretched like a lot of them that kind of flow all the way to the bag, which is basically the what's real popular right now. They're definitely a real mm-hmm. racy hot rod kind of thing, but we had that, I, we built the first ones and, and literally the fiberglass uh, composite shop that we had mold the parts was like, there's no way, this is going to be a 12 piece mold and it's got all these compound edges and <laughs> Like, it's the only side cover that I've seen in the industry, really, that when you pull it off, there's no 
edges. I mean, the whole thing is even underneath it where it hits the bag, where underneath the bike itself, it's all 3D molded. And I mean, it looks like a fully solid piece, even though it's hollow. In wow. The but um, that's probably the only part I could say because it's just not it's not going to appeal to most people because most people want it to flow directly to the bag, whereas I wanted something that was kind of a blend between um, that, a fully you know lengthened side cover, and more of a integrated piece that still let the bag kind of be a bag and the side cover kind of be a side cover, and it has yeah. a, an opening where you can cut an opening in it and use you know vents and put mesh behind it and do a bunch of different cool stuff. So. I'd probably have to say that ah. part, um, but I, I, okay. I, which I'm totally fine with too. You know, if we just keep those for our builds in house, then that's cool too. You know, because then it's a signature to our stuff. Yeah. So, but if I had to pick one, that'd probably be the the part I would I would say. Okay, and that's available now, or that's the one that's yeah. going to come out. Yeah, that's that's a, yeah, that's, that's available. available. Now. No, the one I'm talking about that's going to come out. People are going to have to take a little while to wrap their head around it, but it's super cool. <laughs> and then I've got another part that's coming out that literally every single person in the industry will be trying to buy. Like it's it's that Uh-oh. cool. Um, and that and All that right. part I'm gonna we're gonna do as many as people want because it's just a necessity part. It's something that will help everybody with a motorcycle. So okay. um, we'll do that one as a, as a mass produced type deal. Okay, well I'm excited. One of my favorite parts of my job is hearing people predict these game changers that are yeah. going to come out and seeing them yeah. come to fruition, you know, and seeing if they're really what they say they were. And we've seen that yeah. happen a few times. I mean, we've, we've had people oh, come yeah. on and they predict what the next move in the industry is going to be and it happens. And um, it's really cool to kind of watch it play out. So um, I'm excited to see that. And we'll have to look for more from you on that. Um, tell everybody, this is, this is the, Big last finale question, okay? What what sets Glendine apart? What sets Glendine apart and what makes you the company that people want to check out? Uh, well, I mean, we're totally a one-stop shop and we're capable of everything. Now, right now, obviously, the timelines, we're not capable of everything because we're dealing with the mm-hmm. shop and whatever, but... Um, or the renovations and all that stuff along with everything else. But I would say just our commitment to highly engineered products. I mean, we anytime something um, hits the industry, you can bet we've spent hours and hours and months and years, if you will, you know, sometimes um, fine-tuning and trying to perfect the best we can and, and design and redesign and redesign and really just, just focus on the quality of, of the brand and the products. Um, with, and everything has got a lot of engineering behind it, so we never just do something, you know, fast. And, and one thing in this industry there's a, um, that you hear customers talk about is, you know, this part doesn't fit or this part doesn't that, you know, and that's one thing that even though accidents happen and, and things happen, you know, I really want people to always feel that, that company work with you, you know, the, I know Aaron's hard to get a hold right. of, but at some, at some point, you know, everything's going to gonna be fine. They're going to back their product 100%. There's times I've sent wheels, you know, to people that have had them for three or four years and, and had a problem where the chrome started, you know, pitting or whatever, and I'm like, here's a new wheel. Send me that old one back, wow. and when I get it, you know, I mean, because I just ultimately, we're going to take care of everybody, and we're going to do the best we can yeah. to always deliver the highest quality parts possible. So if you happen to like our version of Cool and what we do, um, you have no problems whatsoever with 
with the customer's uh, care side of it or service side of it. You know, if you if you dig our parts, we'll we'll take care of you for life. You know, we'll, I tell everybody, you know, all of our parts, um, we stand behind and we put our name on. So um, anything and everything, you know, we'll go to the end of the earth to make sure that everything's everything's right. Awesome, sir. All right, so um, let's just close out. Uh, let's hear you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. What's the best way to order parts, and where can they find you online? The the best way, um, obviously, my shop cell phone rings off the hook, and emails come in like crazy. So the, I, I've even started telling people that if I'm in the back room, because I'm actually working. You know, a lot of people think I'm. Um, just a figurehead or whatever, and I'm not actually doing any, you know, any any physical stuff. Well, we'll you know, we're, we're doing everything. We all wear a bunch of different hats. So, a lot of the time, the easiest way is to shoot us an email because I can check those at any time. And of course, Tyler can check them. Anybody else at the shop can check them. Um, and if I need to, need to, I can answer them too. If they can't get answered through through other people, but um, the other way is is a simple text to the shop cell phone, which is the cell phone that's all over the internet. Um, that okay. number is is easiest method is just because if I want and all my dealers do this they'll shoot a text so hey man I need a couple sets of neuros or what do you have in stock for a 26 or whatever and if I'm where I can't hear the phone or it's too loud or you know anything's going on in the background where it's just not feasible to be on the phone I can shoot a text hey I've got you know three of these in Chrome I've got five of these in, in you know black or whatever and we can get the ball rolling and then I can get up, up right. front get out get in you know an area where it's quiet call them back, pin it down, focus on some details, get everything done, you know, take a deposit, whatever we need to do. And, you know, one thing about our company that I like to tell everybody is um, if we if it's not leaving that day, the only thing people are required to do is a 20% deposit. You know, we function off of our money to build these parts. And right. until your order is shipped, we never take payment in full on anything. And that's just kind of the way I like to run the business. It keeps us wanting to complete the job and of course close out the ticket and get the remaining 80%, but it also keeps the customer feeling like they haven't been, um, you know, taken advantage of or had or paid all this money up front and Hey, it's taken three weeks to get this done or it's taken, you know, whatever. So, um, that's one of the things that we kind of, one of the principles that we run our business by too, is to let people know that, Hey, you can believe in this because, you know, all we all we did was want to know you're serious, and if you're serious and put twenty percent, we're all good. You know, we'll settle up on the eighty yeah. percent when this stuff's leaving here. You know, and that's hard for okay. the company to do. But if you set the company up correctly, you know, you you can you can function like that. Right, right, and it's amazing to me how many companies don't run like that in this industry. And that's when and that's when people and that's when people get a bad taste in their mouth, you know, because you know if I bought something and it's taken five or six weeks and I haven't gotten it. You know, I start getting a little irritated. Maybe I'm calling a little mm-hmm. more than I would normally if I didn't feel that I had all that money out, you know. And and so we just try and that's one, you know, comforting thing that I can tell customers that, hey, if we're doing a custom project, you know, when it's done and shipping, that's when you're really going to pay. It's just we got to know that yeah. you're serious is the only reason we even take a 20%. Very good. Anything else we need to know about Glendine? No, not that I can think of. I mean, I think the... The people that that dig us know why they dig us, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for spending the past hour with us. I know the listeners really appreciate it. Um, They've they've asked me multiple times why I've not had you on yet. So um, I know they're happy they'll be able to listen to this now. Yeah. And, um, guys, you know the podcast will be available from now until forever. 
So if you miss the live version or if somebody you know missed the live version, no worries. We'll post the same link. The link never changes. So the link is the same for the live version as it is for the podcast. Um, you guys threw your phone by actually calling into the live show. A lot of people did that. We probably had about, it looks like about 75, 85 people listening from their phone. Um, you can listen through the audio on your phone just through um, by going to the link online. You can listen through your iPad, through your computer. And what a lot of people who listen to this show don't know is that we're actually on iTunes. So you guys can go to iTunes and subscribe to Wide Open Radio, and you'll get a notification every time there's a new podcast available, and you can listen to it whether you're online or offline. Um, a lot of our listeners like to listen when they're flying or whatnot. So um, lots of ways you can listen to us. So make sure to tell your friends that the episode with Aaron is now available available on podcast. And uh, we're going to be back next week. So thank you guys for joining us again. Thank you so much, Aaron. And I'll post details about how to get in touch with you on our Facebook page so everybody can find it. Um, that's Sounds it, guys. Great. This has been, yeah, thank you, Aaron. This has been another episode You're of Wide Open welcome. Radio. We're going to go ahead and head out so you guys can enjoy the rest of your evening. We will be back next week with another live episode, and I'll make an announcement on Facebook this week to let you know who we're going to have on because it's going to be another company that you guys have been waiting to hear from, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, we have a lot of new things going on. We have some new sponsors who have come on board, new advertisers. You guys are going to be hearing a lot from them as well. Um, again, if you need to get in touch with us, you can go to uh, WideOpenRadioShow.com. You can listen to all the podcasts from there. You can contact us from there. And you can get more up-to-date information on what's going on in the motorcycle industry. So everybody have a great week, and we will see you all back here next week on Wide Open Radio.